This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of a several cups of coffees and honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that I've had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech-generating device or how to find the right fit for a speech-generating device? Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self-described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for a Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at firstbite at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website, drop a review, subscribe to obtain those coveted ASHA CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome back to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional Resources for the Pediatric Clinician. I'm your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. Uh, The topic of today falls in the, and again, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see it, um, Fed category. And this one, too, has been uh, at least a year in the works. Uh, it's a part two to our part one with the um, infamous Mr. Jeremy Pons, um, fellow geeky person from Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, and he is a licensed dietitian and nutritionist with, Jeremy, help me out here, Path of Life. Path of Life Nutrition. Yep. Path of Life Nutrition. And he's returning as our guest speaker today. Now, we're going to continue that lovely game of discovering just how little we really know about registered dietitians and add in how little we know about them and feeding tubes. Because let's be honest, did any of you really get feeding tubes covered in your dysphagia class? And like I said in part one, if you're the unicorn who did, well, then because the rest of us did not. And it's pretty humbling how little we actually know about the patients that we're treating and the colleagues that we're supposed to be working um, collaboratively with. And this has been a personal 
bit of self-discovery for myself with the patients and the veil is slowly being lifted and I'm watching this slowly unravel um, the the knowledge unraveling um, or I guess garnering over the course of my professional career. So um, Mr. Jeremy, thank you for coming back for um, part two and I'm glad I didn't scare you away. Yay. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thanks Michelle for uh, having me again. I am excited to be a part. And so uh, excited to jump in here and, um, and I am, um, also, really, really thankful to be collaborating as well with all you awesome therapists, because honestly, without you guys, you know, our jobs are a lot harder. And, and you know, it's we share a lot of common goals with getting these kids fed and getting them fed well and getting them fed right. And uh, so I'm excited to be talking about how we can do it better. Okay. So, yay. <laughs> as my sweet friend says, we're building a bridge. That's right. Um, Okay, so we have uh, today we're going to talk about um, feeding tubes and which is yeah, here. Here's what it looks like from the speech pathologist perspective. They have a hole in their body that may or may not have a granuloma around it that may or may not be leaking. Sometimes it looks like the parents just shove a syringe of formula in there. I have seen four syringes go inside of 10 minutes and it, honestly... This is not me being crass, but it looks like they're beer bonging the babies because it goes in so quickly. And then I have also seen where they gravity feed, where they hold it and it slowly dribbles in. And then I've seen that nice little backpack hanging on the wall. I think they call it a kangaroo pump. I mean, let's be honest. Do y'all actually know what these terms are called? I'm not making this up. We really, really struggle. But I am well aware that if I want to help the special baby that I'm working with learn to be PO, I need to time out my feeding sessions around um, their tube feeds. Because if that baby's on a continuous overnight feed, I can't go in at nine o'clock in the morning expecting that baby to be hungry because they probably just got off like an hour and a half ago. Um, and if I, um, you know, if they are timed out for a bolus feed, then I try to get there to start PO trials when they're most empty so that we can get that bolus feed. But that's, that's kind of it. That's really truthfully how it looks from most speech pathology and probably OT perspective. So um, on that note, we'll start at the <laughs> beginning, but um which one of our babies actually need and help me out here? Enteral nutrition. Yes, uh, yeah, that is the, that is the term, and I appreciate you saying too about all the, the timing because that is a huge deal, and I think a lot of times parents, uh, dietitians, therapists do uh, the best job coordinating that. And that is a huge, huge factor that we really have to think about, um, because as you know, uh, hunger is a big factor when you're trying to get people to trial things. And so so that really kind of feeds into, uh, uh, you know, when we'll talk about a little bit like timing of uh, and rates of feeds, because those things are able to be manipulated and being able to work around that and knowing what those schedules mean can really give you a good toolkit for, for doing your job a lot easier. Uh, so having said that. Uh, kids who need enteral nutrition, that, that is really a broad, um, broad question. But in general, of course, we give kids enteral nutrition because they can't take what they need by mouth. And not being able, to, being able to take food by mouth can be for a whole host of different things. So um, it could be because, of course, they've got swallowing issues. It could be because they have um, inborn errors of metabolism where they uh, are not able to process food properly. Could be because the child is uh, has um, genetic issues where they have very, very poor muscle tone. And so they're not able, their swallowing reflex isn't working or they're um, you know, their, their mechanics in their stomach aren't working properly. They may have poor motility from particular GI uh, diseases. Um, short bowel syndrome is another example. Um, you know, neurological impairment like cerebral palsy, anoxic brain injury. So, of course, you're probably not doing trials on a kid like that, but they're, they're in that class of tube-fed kids. Seizures, okay, so that's a big one kids with seizures where they may go through periods where they're able to eat, then they can't because their seizure activity heightens and they're just like, just 
not able, unfortunately, to do much more than just lay there. Can, uh, can I interject right there? Yeah. Um, folks, if you guys have seen my live lecture, I talk about that one particular um, infantile spasms, the catastrophic devastating seizure disorder. That one I have seen. Um, the um, I have a couple little ones that have wolf Hirschhorns on my caseload. And while they're, they may have a competent sucker swallow, they just fatigue. And it's mm-hmm. not swallow fatigue for, you know, laryngeal musculature and isolation. It's their whole system has mm-hmm. fatigued out. Um, I think you and I consulted a couple years ago for two children that had a demyelinating genetic disease. So what they're yep. um, like as the um, my, as the nerve grew, the myelin sheath couldn't keep up to propagate the mm-hmm. signal. So those are, I mean, I'm, and short, you called it short bowel, SLPs call it short gut syndrome, mm-hmm. um, is where a lot of these kids have, um, uh, they get put on thickeners prematurely. It kills the, um, help me out here, Jeremy, the duodenum, um, jejunum section, that watershed area in between and right. the parts of the gut. And those are our babies that get, um, J tube fed, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. Right. And so so you've got all these uh, scenarios where, um, you know, even even scenarios where they can't get enough to eat. So they're maybe trying to eat, but they can't get enough like pulmonary disease, cystic fibrosis, uh, congenital heart disease. So in each of these areas, there's kind of. The, the, the basic issue is basically they cannot get enough by mouth, um, either because of in, inability to uh, perform the, the chewing swallowing process or inability to take in enough nutrients to meet their needs. And so in that case, you're going to generally see enteral nutrition as either a replacement uh, form of, of nutrition or as an additive form of nutrition. And those are typically um, typically the kids you're going to see and certainly, if you're doing trials, obviously, most of these kids, the aim is to get them on either a, um, <clears throat> a dual type of uh, feeding or maybe even in, in, in obviously the ideal case, getting them off of the tube feedings eventually. Okay. Okay. And um, that's when the SLP walks in, whether it be to the door of the house or to the um, clinic room or wherever, the first things we hear is, I just want them to eat my mouth. I just right. want them to eat. But Pretty like, um, y'all, I say this and I say this every single lecture. <laughs> I fed is fed is fed is fed. If we yes. want those babies to grow, to be able to meet their developmental norms from a gross motor, fine motor, cognitive perspective, they um, they have to have nourishment. Right. So it has taken me a very long time as a clinician to accept the fact that just because a kid's getting a feeding tube does not mean that I have failed Uh, Uh -uh. (laughs) But but, I mean, like that's, that's, that's how, I mean, I remember the first time I had a kid and like the doctor was like, we have to put a feeding tube in. I felt like I had failed that family Mm -hmm. and our, our friend, Paul, um, OT extraordinaire who I'm picking his brain here in another week or two on a different podcast. He was like, there's nothing you could have done. You can't fix the, or fix the fact that this kid has respiratory failure. Like, what are you actually going to do? But so this is me encouraging y'all don't view a feeding tube as a failure. You can't fix cystic fibrosis. Like Jeremy said, you can't fix um, a a baseline congenital cardiac defect. So remember fed is fed. There is a time and a place for enteral nutrition. Okay. Sorry. Huge soapbox. Very. No, that's, that's awesome. And that's a, and that's a huge, and that's a huge point. And I would absolutely reiterate from our side that, um, you know, we look at you guys as a huge asset to help us do what we do optimally. Um, Mm -hmm. and optimally just means from all approaches possible. And, you know, one other thing that I always try to remind parents and, and, um, speech, uh, um, you know, speech therapists of is the idea that, Yes. A lot of times the enteral nutrition gives them the strength, the tone, the nutrients they need to then strengthen their oral motor skills. And so it really actually uh, helps 
everyone do their job better and it helps them to meet their needs. And so just kind of having that perspective can take some of that pressure off um, because, yeah, there are going to be those kids who, you know, because of the way their body uh, is functioning from either, you know, DNA issues, genetic uh, abnormalities, you know, to functional disorders of, of muscles and nerves and whatever, they may not ever get off the tube feed. And, um, and that's okay because our goal is to help them live the optimal life they can live within the, within the, the, um, the perspective and, and, you know, restrictions of where they are. Thank you. Well said, friend. Well said. Okay. All right. So this is, this is a question that has, um, and you know, if they, if they end up being one of my little ones, we're, we'll probably have a whole host of things going on. Right. So, um, uh, and I know I'm not the only SLP out there that has that. If they land on your proverbial doorstep, they probably are. You're certain we are called to serve the least of these. So a lot of times I'll run into an I am not being dismissive of the skill set of um, of a WIC employee. So please do not misconstrue what I'm about to say. But um, I have worked with the registered dietitian. We've worked with the pediatrician. We finally get a formula that's squirreled away straight. Um, it's getting billed out. And then the family and their sweet little baby go to the WIC office and the nutritionist at the WIC office says, oh, but your child is 12 months old. You're a year old. You no longer get the infant formula. You now need the toddler <laughs> formula. But unfortunately, said child was a micro preemie with Down syndrome or insert any unique diagnosis and they are size and stature of a three or four month old and then it's like and you guys couldn't see that but I made like a bomb gesture um unfolds so help um (laughs) when do we actually go from infant to toddler formulas through the feeding tubes and those kind of things. Oh man, that is, that is, uh, first of all, yeah, that is a real scenario and it happens to us too. And we don't like it any more than you guys do. This is so frustrating sometimes. Um, (laughs) so ultimately the unfortunate thing is when it comes to, um, government, uh, coverage of cost of things, they go by hard and fast rules and their hard and fast rules are based on age. And, um, and then the exceptions to those of course are the exceptions that are, um, based on prematurity and size and that sort of thing. But the exceptions then require a physician to come back and say, yes, in fact, this child is much premature and does need the formula longer and whatever. And it just ends up causing, a little bit of a delay and sometimes missed coverage and whatever else. Um, And so basically they're going by ideal numbers. They're going by ideal uh, age ranges and those sorts of things. And so So that being chronological and not the developmental norm. Exactly. Yeah. So they're going by chronological age, uh, which is why they do take prematurity into account. And that's good. Um, But typically you do transition children about 12 months over to from an, an infant to a toddler uh, formula. And uh, I'm using air quotes that you can't see there either. So, um, you know, it really just depends, really depends on the kid, though, in, in our perspective, what we're going to recommend. Generally, what you do see is a step up in certain nutrient values of vitamins and minerals and maybe even protein and stuff when you go from infant to toddler. And that's really kind of what we're aiming at. There are times when it's really no different at all. And you're just doing different um, different rates and different amounts of the stuff or just because they felt like it, the formula company gave it a new name and called it something different. You know, so that we have that, too. And so we kind of take all that into consideration. But the biggest jump, I guess, or the change that happens when we're shifting from what we consider um, an infant formula toddler formula, whatever happens at two years old, when you switch to the next step. So you get out of the world of formula, quote unquote, and you get into the world of basically commercialized tube feedings. And the the thought is if a child were eating um, normally by mouth, by two years of age, they've pretty much transitioned off of everything. And they're now on to just pure table foods and drinks. And so they make that sort of same switch with the tube feeding world where you go from using things like, um, you know, like 
from Elicare to Elicare Junior, okay, and it just happens at two years of age, or from um, you know Infagrow, you go from Infamil infant formula to Infagrow as a toddler to Nutrin Junior or Boost Kit Essentials when you're two years or older. So, so it usually happens at about the what's that? So two. So from yeah. So two is typically your switch to kind of what we call a longer term formula. And that generally, if if you were looking at it long term, would happen or would continue from like the age of two to 15 or 16. Okay. So to piggyback on the part one conversation, when we went through the three main protein types of intact um, peptide or elemental, this is, this takes it one step farther. And so now the formula, the tube feeding formulas for like a two-year-old are even more complex than those protein levels. Like they have, yes, help me out here, like more carbohydrates. Yeah. So so once you step up to the two years and older age, you're basically looking at depending on whether an infant, a toddler or a, um, you know, a pediatric child, you're looking at different levels of vitamins, minerals, uh, essential fatty acids, um, uh, carbohydrate levels, calorie concentrations. So you actually take a big step at two years old. Well, actually, at one year old, a lot of times, but but between one and two years old, you switch from doing the uh, breast milk concentration of 19 to 20 calories per ounce up to the 24 or most of the times 30 calories per ounce that you see in a in a standard tube feeding um, formula. And so you take a jump in concentration when you get up to the pediatric thing. So those are the stuff that you sort of um, you transition as a child's growth needs and developmental needs change based on their their size, their age, and what their brain and body is calling for. Okay. So you just touched on one of the things that um, I totally have no clue what happens. Um, the, uh, the second math and alphabet suit blends, my brain kind of goes, <laughs> sure. what? And oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I lay, let that oh-so-sweet um, Mr. Dawson of mine um, handle all things that involve a calculator because that he's the engineer, right? Like, well, there you go. Let him, let him do the engineer thing. Yeah. Let, let the man <laughs> do the thing. Um, now, if you're one of those blessed women out there, that's really good with the calculator and math, then congratulations. Um, I, I officially girl crush you. Um, so um, when I go in the families and I always ask, I do do my part and say, okay, so talk to me, what is the formula that you're on and what's the flow rate? And I write it down as if I know what I'm doing. And then inevitably my sweet little intern, cause I always have an intern is like, so what does that mean? And I'm like, oh honey, go home and research that one. That's a piece of cake. because like, Enlighten me here. But um, what you, you said something earlier in the part one you said peptamin um, 1.0 versus 1.5. All right. Yep. So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the million dollar question, huh? So yeah. so when I say you have a standard concentration for tube feeds, um, the base standard concentration for essentially any tube feeding is 30 calories per ounce. Okay, so if we break that down into milliliters, um, that basically means you are a one calorie per milliliter because there's 30 milliliters in one ounce. Okay, so okay. say that all slowly. Yes, so so in in conversions of of liquid water being the case here, um, if we're looking converting from calories to I mean we're sorry if we're converting converting from milliliters to ounces, you have in general, not exactly, but almost almost exactly, a conversion rate of 30 milliliters of fluid for one ounce of fluid. Okay, so 30 milliliters in an ounce. And when you look at a standard tube feeding, they they're all they're all in the metric system. Uh, fun times. Yes. And so, yeah. So don't don't worry. You're not the only one who gets frustrated. This, yeah, this is one I'm of the just things the that, only one that's brave enough to open their bloody mouth and say, with, "I'm an idiot." Help. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not an idiot because I mean, this is this is uh, what intern dietetic interns uh, struggle over and over and over, and it takes like a thousand calculations to really get in your mind, but Basically, we're just looking at a whole bunch of conversions. And so 30 milliliters uh, in an ounce, and we have 30 calories per ounce. Basically, what it means is we are a standard tube feeding formula is typically one calorie per milliliter. 
Okay, that's the easiest way to think about it. Then, yeah. Okay. So, so then if we're looking at 1.0, okay, that's a one calorie per milliliter thing. But if we're looking at something like peptidum in 1.5, you have 1.5 calories per milliliter. And so you've just stepped up in the concentration of the energy you're getting for every milliliter of formula. Does that make okay, sense? So, yeah. So hang with me and get your calculator. I need. I, I want to make sure that um, that I'm on the same page. So if I have 30 milliliters is one ounce. Yep. One calorie per the milliliter. So that means in a three ounce bottle, um, we would have 30, 60, 90 calories in a three ounce bottle. Okay. Um, yes. Yes. Of a standard tube feeding. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Now, infant okay. formula would be less, but in a tube feeding, it would be that. Yes. In a tube feeding. All right. So that's, sorry, I correct. Yes. Okay. So if it's 1.5, so it's one and a half calories mm-hmm. per ml. Yep. How many is that in an ounce? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so in an ounce, that would be uh, 45, yeah, 45 calories per ounce. So that's 45, so that's so 90, so that's 135. 135 calories per, per three ounce. Per three yeah. ounces. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Every yep. Everybody's driving down the road, listening to the podcast going, oh my God. <laughs> confused <laughs> I know, like, what are we doing um okay. and so and so one of the reasons um just because of the way it's designed uh, well it, for us we end up having to convert both ways because parents will come to us and say well i mix up about four ounces and i give it this many times a day and whatever and then we're converting in our heads back to milliliters because if you're looking at you know <laughs> I know, because if you're looking at, um, uh, when you're looking at a given formula, all of, we have, we have cheat sheets. So we have little books that have like, what are the specs per ounce, per liter, whatever for the formulas. And yeah, you need them because they're so complicated. And, and ultimately then if we go back to analyzing it all by the milliliter, it makes a lot more sense because if we're doing you know, the different types of feeds, like if they're on a pump and they're doing 100 milliliters an hour for 10 hours, then I'll just say, oh, okay, well, that's a thousand milliliters, which is one liter. Um, and then I go back to my book and figure out, okay, how many calories in a liter? And boom, I've got it. And so you can kind of, it's it's all just a big game of math conversions. Okay. <laughs> like okay. Trying to convert so recipes. I'm going to ask for a professional to do. Can you make a picture to make that make sense? So that when we post this and we sure. put the link out, maybe you could do like, do, 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 do. and we're like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Like that. Yeah, I can, I can uh, see if I can pull up some things uh, for that. There's a lot of different graphs out there and even a lot of your, um, your formula and um, well, all of them, your formula and your tube feeding uh, companies have specs online for practitioners. So you actually pull them up and Abbott, for example, even has an app you can put on your phone or you can just click the app and click the actual formula and it'll pull up exactly what's in it. Okay. Um, and that's, that's helpful a lot of times too, because it can give you like on the fly information of, okay, what are they actually getting? Okay. All right. So then I'm going to go out on a limb and say that when it's something 2.0, because I've seen that. That's right. It's two calories per milliliter. Yes. Good job. So, yay. All right. <laughs> I am teachable. So if it's 2.0, two calories Per milliliter, 30 milliliters in an ounce, and it's a three ounce feed that's two times 30 is 60, 60, 180, 240 calories inside those three ounces. Um, It would be... It would be 60 calories an ounce. So it'd be 60, 120, 180. 180. Yeah, there you go. 180. Oh, right. so close. Yep. Yep. You, but, you're, but you're on it. You're on it. So, okay. Okay. Um, that so, makes yes. so much more sense. And that explains why some of my babies get so chubby so quickly as soon as they get their feeding tubes. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it'll it'll oh. take you up pretty fast, depending on the rate. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. So then that gets to the next question. What? Is a flow rate. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. What is a flow rate? Um, so, so in a nutshell, when we're talking about milliliters, then the flow rate basically is always set up to tell you how much of a given tube feed in one hour you're going to give. 
Okay. And so because you're looking at, if we're talking about a pump, because that's the only way you can really set a flow rate, then you're going to set it to some number. And it could be anywhere from like a continuous feed of 30 to 40 cc's or milliliters an hour. And by the way, parenthetical, um, when you're talking about tube feedings, this just to make your life a lot easier, one cc equals one milliliter. It's the same conversion. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. Um, okay, so one so, cc is one milliliter. Yeah, they're inter- interchangeable because we're talking about a water-based fluid. If we were talking about, you know, some sort of other substance, it would be different. But luckily, with water, it's a one to it's a perfect one to one. And so you will see those things interchangeably talked about, um, depending on who's writing something. But suffice it to say. We're talking about a X number of milliliters per hour of whatever it is, whether you say CC or milliliter. Um, so, so don't get confused by that. So if you see a hundred CCs, it's, it's a hundred milliliters, same difference, just okay. different way of saying it. Okay. Um, so if we're looking at rates, then you're going to see something along the lines of, you know, on that pump, you may see a 30 or a 40 or a hundred, you know, or 120. Um, and that means that's how many milliliters of, of formula are going to be pumped into the baby's system over the course of one hour. Okay, so that's kind of your first flow rate thing. Then you're going to have flow. Okay, hang with me. I have a little girl that I treat. Um, She has a rare genetic syndrome. She has a kangaroo pump, I think is what it's called, Um, which I have a question on that in a second. And her flow rate is 120 cc's over, I think it's like 45 minutes. So that means over 45 minutes, she's getting roughly... Four ounces. Um, it should be should be three <clears throat> three quarters of a hundred and twenty. So one twenty, and I'm just doing math right now as we're talking. But but one twenty says so ninety. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So yes, that's roughly three ounces. So okay, so one twenty. Ninety cc's. Um, if that's the rate, one hundred and twenty an hour. Oh well, but see that depends because here's here's where it gets a little confusing because if if the parents are actually giving 120 cc's over 45 minutes, that is meaning that's actually faster than what it would be over an hour. So they're either giving it at 120 cc's per hour over 45 minutes, which means 90, or they're giving it 120 cc's over 45 minutes, which means they're given the whole 120. And so you kind of have to clarify with parents or on these sorts of things. this pathologist doesn't understand and wrote down the wrong time. Well, you know, and, and, and so <laughs> this is right. Well, and this is this is a great point because um, the most work that we do when we're looking at kids who are on enteral feeding is getting good information. We have to like really delve in, make sure everybody's on the same page because the doctor could say one thing, the parents could then do another, and then they can tell you they're doing a third thing because it, because this stuff is so confusing. Cause when we're looking at rates, the parents don't understand. A lot of times the doctors don't explain it well. Um, they may not have had good education from the nurse on, on exactly how to do it. And so I, I confirm and then I double check and then I triple check because, and then I'll say it back to them and say, okay, so you're actually giving this because sometimes they'll say, Oh no, 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 that's not what I meant. I'm actually doing this and you end up um, getting very different numbers the way you depending on how you calculate these things so you've got to really understand what's being given to to get the calorie proportions correct okay 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 uh, so it it's a milliliter so one ml is the same as one cc and yep. then the flow rate can be put through the pumps for right. typically 120 cc's over an hour, which means the kid would be getting um, three ounces or four ounces in an hour. Four ounces in an hour, yeah. So it's, if it's 120 cc's over an hour, that is the rate. So it's 120 cc's that are actually going in over that hour. Okay. Um, and which and is a lot like of times, and they don't want to eat the food that we're working uh, on. That's right. Yeah, four ounces of of um, of tube feeding is 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 significant for a child. I mean, that's going to fill their stomach. You think about that. That's like that's a a half of a cup of 
of like uh, chocolate milk, you know, you just dump down their stomach, you know, like in, in caloric equivalents. And so you're, you've got to you keep those things in mind and think about, and this is where the, the cycling comes into play. So if they're doing that and then they're taking a break for two to three hours, you really want to do your intervention and trials pretty close to that two to three hour mark so that they're as hungry as possible and then you do it and then they can start their feedings, you know, after it's over. Okay. And so those, those are the things that come into play or, or for example, if they're, they're kids who are on a continuous and uh, I usually recommend if they're going to do trials that you stop it like an hour beforehand yeah. and give their stomach time to empty and then do your therapy and then restart it once it's finished. Yes. Okay. So, all right. Here's, I have, I have multiple questions. One, um, please explain the difference between um, a bolus feed, a gravity feed and continuous. Great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's uh, pretty easy. So bolus feed is where the entire amount, <clears throat> well, it's a little more complicated with kids, I guess, because a bolus feed means you put a certain volume of food in to the um, into the child's stomach in a specified period of time. Okay, so bolus means you are taking a lump of food, like bolus of food, and putting it in their stomach. Now, that bolus could be given in a variety of different ways. Um, so you could take a bolus and put it in with a syringe. So you're talking about the kids who are just getting syringed and, and force-fed, essentially. You yeah, know, beer it, pong. Looks like, <laughs> it looks like they're beer-bonging the babies, like yeah, when they do. And, like, it's, and, it's, like. and it's terrible. Um, I almost never, no, excuse me, I never, ever recommend this. A lot of times, unfortunately, they're, they're shown this practice of doing it by the nurses before going home because the nurses were doing it because they're trying to save time. But no human, no human adult or child should ever have food forced into their stomach at that rate because it causes no end of issues. It would cause reflux in a perfectly healthy person. Okay, if you just dump eight ounces of food down your gullet, you take an insure and you just swig it till it's done, you will get reflux without question. Yeah. Probably will get an upset stomach, very possibly get diarrhea, and definitely gonna dump it. And so, wait, explain all, dumping. Okay, so dumping is when you put a generally a high carbohydrate food in your system, like an insurer or a pediasure or uh, you know, milkshake, whatever it may be, and you just guzzle it down. And that high amount of sugar going into your system at one time creates an osmotic imbalance of fluid in your small intestine. And it, and it basically forces your body in order to balance it out to essentially dump it in diarrhea out the other end in order to correct the uh, flux of sugar water imbalance that you just caused. Okay, so folks, when we go in and if you've seen my live lecture or if you've seen the recorded long one and I talk about um, uh, the GI tract and the importance of poop, y'all, that dumping, it's gonna tear their hindquarters up and when their hindquarters are tore up from the floor up, they don't wanna eat. Right, and well, it's not just that. Even when they dump, you're affecting that and you're affecting everything all the way up because when you dump it, you don't absorb it. And yep. so you're causing malnutrition and fluid and electrolyte imbalances and just a whole chain of events. So all that to say, when you see somebody force feeding a syringe down a kid's uh, stomach, somebody needs to take a step back and, and either talk to the doctor, uh, you know, refer to a dietitian or somebody to say, listen, we need to slow this down at, at a at a minimum, minimum, I recommend bolusing uh, someone over the course of 10 minutes. And almost, and, and here's the problem. A lot of parents, um, it became, based on life situation, just don't want to sit there for 10 minutes with a syringe. Yeah. And, and so that kind of brings us to the next category, which is so in kids who just can't tolerate it, because a lot of them, you force feed them and they puke it right up or they diarrhea out the other end. And so you have to slow it down. So the next step is gravity feeds. And that's where you just basically pour the bolus in a bag, hold it up above the level of the stomach and let it go in at the rate that the tube allows. And that usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the amount you're giving. That can take, you know, anywhere from five, I guess, five to 15 minutes, um, depending on how much you're trying to give them. And that's a much, uh, much 
better tolerated, easier, more natural. You know, that'd be the equivalent of sitting down with your sonic milkshake and sipping it and sipping it for like 10 minutes until it's gone. You're you're still going to get the sugar high, <laughs> but you won't get the diarrhea, you know. And so so the gravity feed gives it in there a little slower rate and um, and allows the kid to assimilate it easier. And then pump is just purely a way to do a gravity type scenario on a specific rate um, or slow it down to a very slow rate. So it allows you to, to adjust the rate to the amount a child will tolerate. And a lot of GI issues purely boil down to rate and flow not formula. And a lot of times parents get confused on this and doctors get confused on this because they think they need to change formulas when in fact, if they would just quit dumping it down the kid's stomach, they would actually be just fine. Okay. So with those pumps, the one that I see a lot of is the kangaroo or the mm-hmm. kangaroo junior. What what are those? What, 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 so, what are we looking at? Yeah. So, uh, so uh, kangaroo is just a, a brand. Um, and it's a popular brand. And there's a couple other brands. I was trying to think of one of the others, uh, like uh, Joey. Uh, well, Joey is a type of kangaroo. Um, yeah. And so kangaroo Joey, uh, the, 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 the neat thing about it is it actually allows portability. So the Joey allows you to take um, without any sort of uh, extra stuff. It has its own self-contained battery powered little 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 kind of little block and you take that little pump with you and you can go anywhere you want so you can stick it in the in the grocery cart you can stick it in their stroller you can stick it you know in a backpack if you want and it allows you to take that child anywhere just on battery power and it improves portability so that's kind of why the joey has become very popular for kids but the kangaroo is just a brand there's other brands like inter um uh, like like Intralite, Infinity, Zvex, um, uh, Bodyguard, um, you know, Curlin. So there's a lot of different brands, okay. but I would say that kangaroos are by far the most popular, and um, and they do a great job. And so ultimately, what you're looking at is is a pump that is in some manner. Um, portable or battery powered or maybe not if it's an older one and you're going to see different brands in that and then some of them vary on whether they can do just tube feed or tube feed and water flushes together um and you know just some different things like that that are either more or less complex okay so i'm all right so i'm envisioning this sweet little girl that i see on um wednesday mornings and when I go in, she's had, um, she's um, fed through the kangaroo. She's got her joey because mm-hmm. they're always on the go. So she's got her joey bag sitting up above her right. um, and she's in her little high chair. And I get 10 minutes with her at the start of every feed to do as much as I can orally. And whatever we get in by mouth, we get in by mouth. Whatever doesn't go in by mouth, then they put in um, her her pump. Okay. So, um, which is, I think fantastic because we're, we're learning the oral skills and developing that and connecting brain mouth gut while we're, um, still getting fed as fed as fed and she's getting nourishment afterwards. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that works for, for her. So, um, but what, next to it, it has a venting system. Um, Uh uh So, and like, I have seen where they've had to vent the kids before. So, you know, like the nurses will pop their little J tube open and like, you know, pull out and sometimes it gurgles. Sometimes it sounds like fart coming from their belly. Um, and, um, they vent them when they start, but the way the most recent nurse and bless her, she is amazing. Explain it to me. Um, it vents and allows, um, is it called the feral, feral bag? No. What? Fecal? No, not fecal. I thought she, no, maybe it's not the feral bag. There's, it's a bag that's connected to the, um, to the pump so that air can go out of the line and goes up through that bag before it goes into their stomach. Do you, do you, Okay. 
Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're preventing the influx of air from the pump. Um, yeah. So it, so it basically prevents you from pumping them up like a balloon. Yeah. And, and that's a great feature because particularly with kids who have motility issues or, for example, have uh, Nissens where they really can't burp, they really can't throw up, they really can't do a lot of the things they need to be able to do um, to vent gas or they have issues, you know, down the line somewhere. This allows you to minimize that bloating, gas, colicky type symptoms that can happen you know, based on, um, you know, based on what's going on in their gut. So, yeah, so those are an added feature that are really helpful. Um, and, and of course, some people can do it manually after the fact as well, like you said, but, but mm-hmm. that is a, a feature put in place to make their life easier. Okay. All right, cool. All right. So then, because we do this, we run short on time, Jeremy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like really looking fun. at the clock going, but I have so many more questions. Um, we have to sweet talk you back for a part three because I have questions about other things. Okay. So we've covered um, internal nutrition. We've covered um, uh, the difference between the infant toddlers. We talked about flow rates. We did a whole lot of math. My brain yeah. hurts. I need more <laughs> coffee. Um, uh, but in short, if they have a G-tube, they tend to have a shorter um, time connected to their pumps. Or, And if it's a J-tube, because and to throw back to part one, it has to be broken down to an elemental level. They're connected a lot of times when I go in for 18 to 20 to 22 hours a day. Yes. Yes. Well, and the other the other piece of part of that is is purely that um, your jejunum cannot tolerate a bolus feeding. You cannot do it. It will cause dumping and and severe electrolyte and blood pressure, blood sugar uh, abnormalities. So if you you bolus a kid in their jejunum, you can make them really ill very fast. And so so they have to be fed kind of slow, steady, the way that ordinarily the stomach would release food. The stomach would usually release it, release it in a slow, steady stream. The tube feed is taking that place and it's doing that sort of continuous cycle of, of food. I had no freaking clue. I had no idea that's why, because that's what the stomach does. I, oh my gosh, you just, okay, mind blown. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, so we see it in adults too, but I I have to go back and tell people, wait a minute, you can't make this order. You can't do a bolus feed in a J tube because yeah, you'll cause a a real problem real fast with, with, uh, with the, uh, the, basically the osmotic dumping again, that's what it causes. Okay. All right. Okay. I have, I have one last question and it's one that like, I don't even really want to ask, but like, I feel (laughs) ethically obligated to ask. Um, Sure. um, Our national association has some phenomenal website tools and website supports and some CEU options, especially when it comes to palliative care, quality of life, pleasure feeding, but it's all designed for adults for Uh end of life geriatrics. Mm, Um, There's not that many resources and I sure am not keen to delve too far into it for palliative life, quality of care feedings for pediatrics. I'm a mom. I can't not be a mom first on that. Sure. When we get into the IV or the TPN feeds, for our kids, the TPN is the total peri- perinatal, uh, parenteral, total parenteral. Yeah. Say it again. Parenteral, yeah. So it's para para enteral. So it's basically outside of the uh, gut, basically. So okay. total parenteral nutrition. So I was always taught the lower the feeding tube, the sicker the kid is. So if it's nasal, it's short. If it's G tube, it's going to be you know six weeks or more if it's j tube they're probably going to need that feeding tube for a long time but if we're at the point of tpn feeds um that could be hey they just had surgery and we're just gonna feed them this way while they're healing or the or yeah right there's a lot a lot of different scenarios you could see in that okay can you can you in in three minutes um, and we're already three minutes over, but in three sure. minutes, talk super brief about that. 
Yeah, so that's that's more of a specialized scenario in kids. You should not hopefully see that um, a lot, and and it's usually only going to be for a couple of different reasons. One is, like you said, they're recovering from surgery, uh, GI surgery, so they're on bowel rest, gut rest, so their gut can heal. They're trying to make sure there's no anastomoses or openings and leakages that are you know going to open up if you add food into the gut, and so they're doing the TPN to um, allow that to kind of correct itself. The other situation, though, is going to be um, generally where you will have, for example, a um, person with severe gut issues. So they just can't absorb their food properly. So it could be a short gut baby, um, and then they're going to basically be on TP in the rest of their life. Uh, and, and in that case, you just do the best you can, and you quality of life and length of life is going to depend on, depend on the kid, depend on how well they respond, how their liver takes getting IV, you know, nutrients for months and months on end. And that's a little bit of a, a, a thing that we have to look at because it's a higher risk the longer you go. Um, or they may have something like um, Crohn's where their uh, colon was removed and they're trying to feed enterally, but they're just not getting enough. In that case, it's usually supplemental. Um, so those are, those are kind of the big ones I would see. End of life, um, you may see it uh, somewhat, and, but it's usually going to be tied to one of those other scenarios where they just their gut has quit working and they're trying to maintain as much food and quality of life as they can. Um, but having said that, like I see that in end of life care for adults, but even in adults the, from a nutrition perspective, a lot of times that is a, a comfort to the family, but all, uh, medically speaking, you don't really recommend it because it's actually much more pleasant for a person at end of life to, to starve to death than it is to feed them until they die. It's actually very uncomfortable to feed someone at the point of death. And so um, so we're usually against that, um, but depending on the scenario for short term, it can be it can be helpful. Okay. Okay. All right. Well I'm never one to end on something you know that yeah, morbid. I know. Let's talk about something better. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, so that that sucks. So yeah, no, really. Um. Okay. All right. So, um, what would you? Um. All right. So one, I want to. Um, I want to go through and pick. Um, I want to sweet talk you to come back for a part three. Okay. Uh, but um, I, I want to pick through um specific like diseases next time. Okay, like and like what. I think that would be fun, like different, like different pediatric illnesses that our kids can get like Hirschsprungs or because I've got I've got a couple of kids with Down syndrome with Hirschsprungs and now they also have celiac to boot. So, uh, yeah, like which is and, and then there's the SLP like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to eat? Because I don't know what's. Yes. yes. I don't know celiac and uh, no. So if we can, um, everybody's like, yes, we need celiac. Yes. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. Yeah. No, we can definitely navigate some of those. Those do get, those do get uh, fun and interesting. So. Okay. All right. So let's, let's plan for part three and talk about okay. those because that's information that we don't get covered on and we're seeing a rise in it. Um, but um, and we're, we'll break over to um, so there's our high point. We're going to plan out the third one. Awesome. Um, but um, I um, w we only have time for a few questions. So if um, folks have um, like specific case questions, how can they reach you? Give me your website, your Facebook. How can they reach out to you specifically? Yeah. Um, so my Facebook again is uh, Path of Life Nutrition and my website also www.pathoflifenutrition.com. Um, my email also, if you just want to reach me uh, directly, is pathoflifenutrition at gmail.com. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so connect with me that way. And I'd love to chat and be uh, helping any way I can. And um, I'll throw this out as well. If, if anyone you know needs consults in a particular area, um, I am available to do virtual uh, virtual coaching. It just depends on the situation and the, the parent and, the, and whatever, but that is also an option. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, 
be kind and feed those babies. 